0: fit and theater of the words, presents The Reprehensibles, The Fight for Earth's Future. Episode 5, Earth City and the Overpopulated Earth. The Earth Transitway hummed along its basin through T-25, which in an earlier time was the town of Glasgow, Massachusetts, of the former United States of America. But the old forms knew no meaning in this T, a subdivision of the North American quadrant, Each of the continents was divided into quadrants as people clamored for every possible living space under the thick, grey, polluted skies. For the Earth's surface was 95% occupied, and there was even talk of expanding settlements on the barges of the sludgy oceans. The land occupation fit almost an exact pattern about the globe. There were still areas left, such as reserves and farms under artificial environments. The computers spread like capillaries through every nook and cranny of this world, with everything coordinated through the central circuits of Earth City in the southern Atlantic. And apart from the 5% unoccupied areas, were packed into three district living patterns. Nomadic barbarians, criminals, and those without adequate benefits, had been herded into massive rectangular plots, Hundreds of square kilometers in size, these camps were surrounded by a white force field barrier 30 meters high and 16 meters thick. The inhabitants were given dwellings by the computer-advised government, the Quadrant, and also depended on the Quadrant for enriched powdered food. However, they were forced, because of water shortages, to drink from the local ground and river supplies, contaminated over centuries the water consumption along with the periodic exposure to ultraviolet radiation passed through the near depleted ozone layer causing their skin to become tainted green thus they were called greenies dreaded if they escaped from their camps and totally misunderstood by those more fortunate the most fortunate lived in the habitats high rising structures 30 levels above the ground and 30 levels beneath They spanned thousands of kilometers in length and sometimes crisscrossed each other. Billions were housed in the habitats which, like the lunar settlements, were enclosed in all-encompassing clear Zambian. Food was no problem in this controlled environment as it was grown on the roofs and shipped to the families below. Although sophisticated water filtration and distillation systems provided a more than adequate supply at all times, Together the habitat dwellers and greenies comprised almost half of the earth's population with the rest on the outside. These people, the outsiders, did not have the comfort of pure environments. They were covered with screening lotions from their cleaners to protect them from the clearest days. Most of the time, however, they braved the cold weather as the polluted atmosphere had not produced the dreaded greenhouse effect but a chilly opposite climate. The outsiders were shielded from the cold in three-storied, windowless dwellings called Zambian modules. The modules ran continuously down the streets of the T, forming huge blocks. They possessed a certain phosphorescence, tinted in varying colors, which aided in keeping the streets lighted at night. However, it was the streets that were the main source of light, the white silcoplast surfaces glowing brightly. Personal movers resembling drainage covers ran like bottle caps down the sides of streets with each mover corresponding to an individual family's module. People were allowed entrance by communicating via computer slots atop waist-high poles next to the movers. Inside the food, Supron, an enriched goopy liquid, was brought to the outsiders by pipelines from production plants. Water was piped in, in raw form, and had to be distilled by miniature units under the sink. If families had proper benefits, they could add minerals or sweet-tasting ingredients to the water. They were called families, but they could not be strictly considered as much, for no one on the outside was allowed to conceive their own children. They had to submit to a request to the baby banks, and the limit was one child per family, a child that was not even their own. Maria Almonte was one of those artificially conceived and externally grown babies. Her almond-shaped eyes reflected in the windows of the transitway as it passed the outside modules. It was not a cheerful ride for the curly-haired girl who lived on the outside for all of her 24 years. Her job as a production analyst required that she take the route from the modules to a tiny alcove 29 levels deep in the habitat. It was her job to help the computers coordinate food shipments from the roof farms to the habitat families. She seemed in a daze as the packed transitway continued along the basin.
1: Hello, Maria,
0: said her friend Marsha as she edged her way up the aisle. Hey, Maria, snap out of it. Oh, I'm sorry, Marsha, she said in a squeaky voice. I was just thinking about the next few days. Oh, you're lucky. Most outsiders don't have habitat people fall in love with them. I would have seen Terrence last night, but he had to stay the night in Earth City, explained Maria. Ah, the city, said Marsha from the aisle. I'd like to just see the city. His job brings him all over, I take it. Yes, he's back for a few weeks. You have it all planned out, don't you? Maria smiled as she thought for a few seconds. When I get him, Marsha, I'll be out of those stinking modules, she said as she pointed to them. I'll be a habitat-dweller, without the slightest regret, she confessed as the computer sounded. T-25, 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 S-11, S-11. That's me, Marsha, said Maria as she moved into the aisle. Have a good time with Terrence, said Marsha as Maria became compressed in the standing group. Thanks, Marsha, she said as she squeezed ahead. The transitway slowed to a stop on the 11th street of T-25. Maria pulled out a flat white square from her worn Ross The square, her input identity card, contained thousands of stored bits of information about her life, including her right to use the transitway. One by one, the people from both sides of the aisles converged up front, inserting identity cards into a thin computer slot next to the doors. The doors would slide open, allowing the computer just one person to pass at a time. The next person then would step up to the slot. Maria finally pushed her card into the slot, the event recorded in the computer, and she walked out into the transitway terminal. The open semi-circular terminal was usually dense with people. As she walked across the simulated rock square, she could see several young men talking to those who would listen. What is this? She asked a man who had gotten off the transitway ahead of her.
1: Another one of
0: those eternal rallies, he answered, shaking his head. Maria, upon hearing the news, was just as aggravated. She hated the eternalists, because eternalism was a greeny religion that was slowly spreading to the outside. Her own cousin, Andrew, had been infected by the mystifying rhetoric, and that's what bothered her almost as much as when she heard them speak. She tried to push her way through the oval opening to the streets inside, but the crowd was too thick and she would have to wait. Surrounding the terminal and spread among the crowd was the Quadrant Militia, the M.M.'s, dressed in tight-fitting army garb with bright orange vests and helmets. In fact, the militiamen were stationed all over the Quadrant as a source of the Earth City Authority. And it was their presence at the terminal which kept the rally from getting out of hand. Maria surveyed the line of the street opening as the militiamen helped the people through the opening in an orderly manner. Reluctantly, she turned and was forced to listen to the words of the speaker. In a strange but repetitious gesture, the younger man raised both his hands to his forehead as if he were shielding his eyes from the sun. He spoke with a euphemistic flow like he had consumed an entire liter of
1: super. Eternity is ever present in the air, in the space around us. It has been seen by those who truly believe and will be seen again. But those among us who have not heard the eternal word, who is this divine presence that is eternity? Who is he who gives hope to mankind? For he has said that mankind is the flower of the universe, blossoming in the dark void, but only able to find fulfillment in him. He is Mohammed, he is Buddha, he is Jesus Christ. He is Confucius, bringing mankind together to strive for good, he has said that only goodwill and eternity will save mankind. He is the eternalist, the one cast adrift from the unbelievers, but he will return, my brethren. Yes, the eternal one will be heard once more. He will return, and we must be ready for the day. It is soon; the time is near. The signs abound all around us, famines sweep across the swelling population as the Eternal One has told us. The sun is quiet beneath the thick clouds, but let us not sink in despair. Let us believe in the word of eternity that will lead us to the wiser course. Eternity says that those not gifted with his foresight will perish under the dark clouds, and eternity will shape the world. Mankind will be destroyed by his offspring, the computer. The faith in the word of the Eternal One will prevent the apocalypse. Maria seemed to take
0: personal offense to the young speaker as she thought of her cousin Andrew. They had taken over his mind, she thought, as she moved in the line to the opening. As she looked ahead, she saw the man who had once been very close to her. He was a militiaman, Captain Michael Stracko. Who had let Maria slip away because of his obligations to the military. Inside, Straco was torn by his devotion to his job and his feelings for Maria. However, he could not have it both ways, and she left him behind, pursuing the glamorous life of the habitat and Terence Wilson.
1: Hey, Maria! Hey,
0: Maria! called the dark-haired Straco. He was a husky man, older than Maria, half-shaven and hardened by his military experience. Despite this, he possessed a noble compassion and a gentle concern under his gruff military exterior. Join us next week for another exciting episode of The Reprehensible's The Fight for Earth's Future by Robert P. Fitton, presented by Fitton Theatre of the Words.